Last week on Ghost Hampton, Lyle and Flo had a lovely seafood lunch while she softened him up for a planned TV interview. Flo, a clairvoyant, can tell Lyle is hiding a terrible truth about Georgie. Driving back to the motel, Flo describes Lyle's earlier seizure to him, how he relived his deadly car crash. At the motel, Lyle pacifies the barman and sees the TV set. It's called Ghost Hampton. A group of young TV production people form a crescent around the interview set in Montauk's memory motel bar. The makeshift set is brightly lit. The whole bar is brightly lit, probably for the first time in its existence. This taping will be uploaded via satellite for air this evening on Entertainment Tonight. Josh, the producer-director, wears headphones and sits behind the central camera focused on Silk, who's already seated in her place. There are two more cameras, left and right, operated remotely by a guy out in the satellite truck. It's all too much for Lyle. He spots Mr. Rooney behind his bar, a toehold on reality, and heads toward him. Someone behind Lyle calls out Lyle, like he's going in the wrong direction. Mr. Hall! Mr. Rooney, can I take you up in your kind offer? Rooney smiles and magically produces a rocks glass and a Dewar's bottle. Lyle watches him pour. Been a while, Mr. Hall. A long while. A lot of water under the bridge. Well, there's no water in this. Remember, first one's on me. Lyle nods his appreciation, pushes a $20 tip across the bar and lifts the glass. As he drinks, the wall-mounted TV comes into view showing News 12, a live interview with Becky Tuttle. It draws Rooney's attention, too. The sound is off, but the identifying Chiron beneath her image describes the topic. Bridgehampton lawyer fights to save haunted house. Frank Barsotti is cruising by the memory motel. A little surprised, he slows to a crawl and inspects the many vehicles in the motel parking lot, unusual for this time of year. More so, a satellite TV van is outside the tap room with thick cables running in a window. Frank stops his car and examines the shiny new black van that says Fear Come on it in big letters. Connecticut plates. He dials his cell phone. Hey, so I'm in Montauk. Outside the Memory Motel. It's packed with cars. There's a TV van with a satellite hookup. And that Fearcom van is parked by the bar. Oh, shit. He's with them. This is not good. Can you go in? I have no cause. First Amendment and all. Right. Shit. They're gonna chew him up and spit him out. On TV. I hear you. Have you had a word with your father yet? About to. Thanks for the heads up. The TV news report instills in Lyle a growing swirl of nausea. It's Becky speaking animatedly, but not in front of old Vic. She's by the adjacent barn, a pre-revolutionary war shambles. It's barely standing, but now, thanks to cranky Judge Sloan, it's Becky's new crusade. Lyle's scotch goes through him like a warm, friendly blowtorch. He hopes it will help fend off the Becky Tuttle nausea, but this is his first hard liquor since his car crash. Scotch was his go-to recreational beverage for decades, but now its immediate effect is almost psychedelic. 
Lyle sees believers crowd in behind Becky Tuttle. In stark contrast to Becky's fitted sweater set and pearl choker primness, they look ragtag, unclean, and unruly. The News 12 camera sweeps the crowd and shows the demonstrators, including a shirtless guy with a beard, banging on an inverted plastic tub. In his mind, Lyle hears a half-century-old hippie song by the doors. People are strange. The camera returns to Becky, and she is identified by a graphic. Rebecca Tuttle, save a barn. Lyle grunts and takes another swig. So you're the lawyer in question, eh, Mr. Hall? The reason for all this hubbub? I'd say Judge Sloan is the reason. Suddenly, Lyle's phone rings. He takes it from his pocket and it rings louder. Georgie Hall. Behind him, he hears a complaining voice. No cell phones. We are shooting in 60 seconds. Places, everyone. Georgie, I can't talk right now. Lyle Hall. A loud voice shouts, paging Lyle Hall. What are you doing, Dad? Georgie, honey, can I call you back? No, you cannot. If you could, you would once in a while. Now tell me, what are you doing with the television crew? Oh, that? Well, I have a contractual obligation to make a television appearance. To clear my name. You signed a contract? What do you get in return? Even more bad press? They are experts in this kind of thing. Oh, experts in haunted houses? That means you're doing a TV shoot with experts in bullshit. Georgie, it's not that way. Suddenly, Chad appears and takes Lyle by his elbow, his phone still to his ear. Mr. Hall, it's time. Chad perp walks Lyle, still gripping his rocks glass in his free hand, onto the set. Dad, I know you took off with those wackos from the ghost hunting company. Your driver told me you abandoned him. There's now a police presence outside the memory motel and... Chad lowers Lyle to his chair, the central one on the set. He gently relieves Lyle of his phone, but not the scotch. Lyle is transfixed by the lights and cameras, and the presence seated to his left. An audio guy fixes a mic to Lyle's peach Gurney's Inn sweatshirt. Lyle squints in the harsh lights and sips from his rocks glass. Alcohol. Alcohol on the set. Chad! Chad moves toward Lyle, but Silk calls him off. Chad, no. Leave the drink. It's too late. Pink! Silk, he's a man wearing a pink jogging suit. It's Peach! Unisex. It's weird, but a good weird. It brings out the red in his eyes. Leave it. I just wish he weren't so cleaned up for this taping. But the drink should make him appear more... sketchy. Go with it. Silk, you don't want alcohol. It'll make good television. Silk's voice of command stirs Lyle to his core. He looks over at the real reason he's here. Silk, seated at an angle facing him, is even more stunning than normal. Now she's made up for TV. Her lush dark hair is blown out and leonine. Her complexion, eyelashes, and lipstick flawless, and she's backlit dramatically with a purple gel. A legal pad stands propped on a chair in front of Josh and out of camera range, with Silk's talking points written in black sharpie. Flo sits nearby on Lyle's right. She eyes him oddly. Okay, we are about to make good television. Filming live again in one minute. I shouldn't have to remind you all to turn off your damn cell phones. Behind the three subjects on camera is Rooney's bar. Its rows of bottles gleam under extravagant TV lights, and Rooney himself stands behind the bar, absently drying a glass. Rolling five, four, three, 
Josh signals the last two seconds of his countdown in silence with his hand. The Ghost Hampton title screen on the monitor dissolves into an impressive vision, a close-up of silk. A dilapidated old house in Bridgehampton. An 1880s Victorian with every window broken. Rumored to have been a house of prostitution long ago, Old Vic now awaits the town's wrecking ball. The property, its ownership unknown, is destined to become a playground. But it's also said to be haunted. And now that haunting has become big news. One local man believes he knows and says he actually encountered a tortured spirit that dwells inside this old place. A photo appears over Silk's shoulder, a spooky rendering of Old Vic taken by Josh. But what kind of spirit? Our guest tonight swears it's a little girl wearing Victorian dress. He himself is a damaged man, on a quest to find some answers, to save Old Vic, and to rehabilitate a mysterious girl's story. But a restive crowd of -of out-of-towners has filled the neighborhood streets, upset that the town of Southampton is poised to demolish the old structure and threaten the girl. New images appear, one after another, featuring a large, unruly crowd gathered around Old Vic. Some have signs. Background sound of crowd noise comes up, along with an ominous low synthesizer. Then the sound dies. Before Old Vic comes down, people yearn to know more. And one little 12-year-old may hold the answer. The thing is, this girl has been dead a hundred years. My name is Silk. I'm here on site in Long Island with the FearCom team to get answers to the many questions arising from this unusual case. The -the over-the-shoulder dissolves to a new one, Lyle Hoare looking disheveled and half-mad. Behind him looms a stylized, threatening old Vic. And tonight, we have with us, in a world exclusive, the man who brought this case to the world's attention. He is quite possibly the most unlikely real estate lawyer to talk on such a case. Lyle Hall, welcome. Camera pulls back to show Lyle to Silk's right. He looks like a deer caught in headlights and a pink sweatsuit. The monitor shows the camera close in on him. Lyle clears his throat too much. <clears throat> uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I hope so. Silk leans in, hands clasped, forearms on her knees like she's getting all Barbara Walters with her quarry. But Barbara Walters never showed a frilly black undergarment when she leaned forward. Lyle, you're being sued by the Kronk family for the wrongful death of their matriarch, Elsie, in a car crash you caused. You were hospitalized in a coma. Your lucrative real estate partnership dissolved. Besides poor Elsie, may she rest in peace, your two wives are departed. One of the departed lives in Florida. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. So am I. In addition... You are threatened with disbarment by New York State. You were just chewed out in court by the local magistrate. You were photographed trespassing last night on Old Vic's property. And your driver keeps a wheelchair handy in case your injured spine gives out. And yet you seem to relate most closely to a dead girl in a whorehouse. I miss anything? Um, I drink? Apparently. Didn't your doctors insist you stop drinking? Yeah, well... They're health nuts. That'll be our little secret. Silk winks at the camera. My question to you is, how on earth can you deal with all your issues and also pursue your paranormal passion? 
Lyle takes Silk's emphasis on the word passion the wrong way. My paranormal passion is kind of new to me. As far as my issues, it's easier to ignore them. Is it? It's a guy thing. I can't conceive of any woman on Earth getting in all that trouble. As Silk moves along with her agenda, Lyle feels increasingly out of his element and helpless to control events. Now, speaking of women, we have expert analysis from Fearcom's own clairvoyant specialist, Florence Hendricks. Camera pulls back to reveal the third person on set, then goes to a close-up of Flo. A cell phone rings. Lyle's. It continues to ring. Damn it! Cut! Everything stops. Josh turns angrily to Chad. Chad! Turn his damn ringer off, for God's sake! So this is what happens when we work with amateurs. Lyle is beyond embarrassed. He really needs to call his daughter. Josh, we'll make a clean break and start up again with Flo on camera. You can edit it so no one will know. Chad, collect all phones and turn them off. And make sure the bar's phone cannot ring. Chad walks around the set and gets all the crew's phones. Flo's, too. Lyle watches and drinks. Now Silk looks around the set and takes a deep breath. Okay, everybody. No real harm done. We pick up on Flo when Josh says... Josh grumbles to himself behind his camera. Presently, he does the countdown again, and suddenly Flo is on camera and on the monitor. Welcome, Flo. Lyle eyes the heavyset Flo Hendricks warily, unsure of how she'll behave for TV cameras. She seems different. Her black sweater covers her arms. Silk, the star, has yet to engage him on the personal, human level he had imagined. Flo, on the other hand, is all empathetic and clairvoyant and understanding. They'll probably work this as good cop, bad cop. Good television, right? So Flo should be a relief. Glad to be with you. Flo, you have deep experience successfully contacting spirits of the dead. What did you feel you had in Lyle Hall when you first met? A diamond in the rough. How rough? Well, I believe there's real potential in Lyle as a person whom the spirit world wants to communicate through... If he allows it. This potential turned up after Lyle's car crash and subsequent surgery? Life-saving surgery. He had a near-death experience. Is Lyle Hall an unlikely candidate for powers of clairvoyance? He may be living proof that anyone under the right circumstances can be receptive to otherworldly influence. Can everyone stop talking about me in the third person? I'm sitting right here. Silk and Flo glance at each other. Josh groans but keeps shooting. All this gives Lyle the nursing home feeling. He gets it from caregivers and even his daughter that he's a helpless invalid unable to make decisions for himself. Lyrics from Making Plans for Nigel, an old rock song by XTC, run through his mind as Silk challenges him anew. Lyle, you made your name and your fortune buying up distressed properties and flipping them despite the objections of preservationists in the Hamptons' super-hot real estate market. Your current crusade is something of a reversal, no? It is something. Is it possible you've undergone a profound, personal, even psychic sea change as a result of your accident? Both women stare at Lyle. It dawns on him that they expect him to participate in his own televised dissection. <clears throat> um, well, yeah. Okay. 
I felt like Scrooge on the Christmas morning he woke up and wanted to be generous to the needy. So Scrooge's famous changeover from miser to philanthropist in the Dickens story happens after he's visited by three spirits. In this case, Lyle visited them. Interesting. Now, if the house, Old Vic, was a brothel long ago, that implies it was populated by adult... Prostitutes. Yes. But the spirit conveying a message to you, Lyle, is a young girl, you believe. What does that say? Old dead whores thought Jewel was the best messenger? Mm -hmm. 